Well, good morning, Eagle Church. How's everybody doing? Eric is uh, enjoying Florida today, officiating a wedding, so I get to sub in today. And not only is he in Florida, but he, he chose to give me the Sunday that we all lose an hour, so I'm really excited about that. But uh, anyways, I'm really excited to be able to jump into this Colossians series called God Soaked Life. Uh, I've really appreciated how, Eric, how Eric's taught through it uh, thus far, so I'm really excited for that. But before we get into it, I asked one of our students, Evan, you can come on up, man, wherever you're at. Um, I asked Evan to, to read the passage we're going to be in so we hear the whole thing at once. Uh, so as he's coming up, I'm going to invite you guys to stand. So this is something churches have done for a long time, and we're just going to stand for the reading of the word. And uh, let me pray as Evan comes up here, and then we'll hear this passage. So Lord, these are your words. This is your church. And we just set the space aside for you and ask that you would speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Call us into obedience to follow wherever you lead this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I become a servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all his wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which, is so, which so powerfully works with me. I want you to know how much I am struggling with you and for all those at Laodicea, Laodicea. And for all who have not met me personally, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of, com- of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Amen. Thanks, Evan. Let's give Evan a hand. So you guys can be seated. Uh, We're we're four weeks into this series now, and so I just want to start with a little review, and it's kind of nice to do review when you haven't been teaching because there's no pressure on me, right? But anyways, all right, so real quick, who's the author of Colossians? Paul, right. And who is he writing to? This should be a softball. The Colossians, right? It's a church in a town called Colossae. What city is he writing from? Rome, yeah. And where is he at when he's writing it? Prison. Man, it's so good. Yeah, so we're continuing in that today. And the first three quarters of of, uh, chapter one, that's as far as we've made it, are basically this theological framework that sets up the rest of the letter. And so kind of a summary of the theology that we're building on is this. Christ is, what have we been saying? Christ is... All, Christ is all. Christ is supreme, he's sovereign, he's the creator and sustainer of all that is. Christ is the head of the church, he's the image of the invisible God, he is God. Christ's gospel is spreading, it will continue to do so and nothing can stop it. When we talk about gospel, it's this message that that Christ provides the answer to what Eric described as this ache of incompleteness. He provides the solution for alienation or separation from God. He is our reconciliation and salvation. Christ is our hope. Christ is all. 
Amen. I feel like I could just sit down and the worship team could come back up, but it's spoken like the worship guy. Anyway, so this theology that Christ is all is the foundation that's set up in the first chapter. The rest of the book is kind of about how do we live this life with Jesus? And we're kind of in the middle of these two sections today. So Paul's introducing himself to a church that he's actually never met. Uh, and so his introduction kind of provides an example or, or picture of what his ministry has looked like up to this point. And then he kind of sets up an example of what does it look like? And so that's where we're gonna go. But I wanna set us up with this question. If Christ is my all, what should my life look like? If Christ is my all, what should my life look like? And I think Paul would say that someone who believes Christ is all would be a, a going person, a person that goes as a representative of Jesus in the world. And so he begins to give us a picture of this in verse 24. He says, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So my first point today is that Paul is crazy, right? I'm kidding. Um, but seriously, who rejoices in suffering? Paul does, right? He willingly suffers for the sake of the church and even says it's a source of joy. And when he says that he's filling up in his flesh what's lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, that's kind of a strange phrase, right? What he's saying is he, he actually carries on this display of Christ's suffering that, that Christ showed us. He does that for the sake of the church. And it's really a beautiful picture, but I do think Paul's crazy because suffering's not something I like, right? See, I'm an Enneagram seven. Does anybody know what the, what the Enneagram is? Crickets. No? Yeah, Kendra knows. So the Enneagram is this like personality assessment. And it's, uh, it kind of goes through all the, it's, you know, you guys have taken those types of things, but it helps you uncover patterns kind of, an, of unhealthy behavior. So it's on the, a little bit on the negative side, but with the goal of helping you overcome it. And um, some people scoff at this type of stuff. They say things like, man, don't put me in a box, right? You don't know me. They say stuff like that. And if you've taken the Enneagram, I would just say you're acting like an eight, like an Enneagram eight, but it's an Enneagram joke. I'm gonna move on. Anyways, so I'm a seven. The assessment calls sevens enthusiasts. Like, yay, right? I'm an enthusiast. I'm like half puppy dog, half evil Knievel. And I, and I, love, I love adventure. I get bored easily. I'm a, if I'm alone for more than like ever, I get a little sad and unsettled. And I'm a people pleaser and I don't wanna let people down. Right? That's kind of me. That's the sevens world. But get this though. For a seven, for me this is true too, whatever it takes, I like to avoid bad feelings. So I like to avoid sadness and anger and difficult interactions and, and all the negative feelings. I want to avoid pain. I think, I think we live in a seven culture. I think we live in a seven culture. We paint pictures of our best and most adventurous selves on social media. Like, none of that's true. Come on. Right? We, we see ads that depict blissful and beautiful people all the time. And we don't want to be transparent about our own security, insecurities and brokenness. And we build our lives around what's comfortable and convenient. Stuff like, I can't live there because it's more than 10 minutes drive to Costco, right? That kind of thing. So Paul here is, is throwing that out and saying that suffering and sacrifice for the sake of Christ is worth it. It's actually the source of joy. And comfort and convenience weren't top priorities for Paul. Only obedience to Christ. So this is foundational for followers of Jesus to understand. That God-soaked going requires sacrificial obedience. 
I wanna clear something up, that the going's not reserved for a pastor or a missionary. Going is, is foundational discipleship. It's foundational to what it looks like to follow Jesus. Going is. And it may not look like going to the deepest and darkest places, but it does mean going to people and places where Jesus is not currently Lord. It may look like for us in our context as simple as reordering our days to spend more time investing in the spiritual lives of our families. It may mean being willing to intentionally pursue a spiritual conversation with somebody that doesn't know Jesus or opening your home to that neighbor that you're not crazy about, maybe I'm the only one, or choosing to go on an overseas trip or engage with the inner city kids with City Life or open your home to at-risk kids in the Safe Families program. It might look like that. It can look a lot of ways. But as followers of Jesus, we are called to be people who choose to sacrificially go. I believe that Paul lived in sacrificial obedience to the call that Jesus gave to all of us that as we go, we would make disciples. And when Paul became captured by the reality of Christ is all, like everything shifted in his life. I think we're also called to allow the spirit to shift things, allegiances, priorities in our own hearts. And it's a big stretch for an Enneagram 7 but it's the invitation and Paul says that it's worth it and it's the true source of joy. First John 2 says that whoever claims to live in God must walk as Jesus did. And I think Paul modeled his life after Jesus' sacrificial example. And my prayer is that that would be true of us. Can you say it's true of you today? I'm gonna pick up in verse 25. Paul writes, I have become its servant, the church's servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul's mission and his commission is to serve the church and kind of objective number one on that mission is to proclaim Christ for all people. So God-soaked going proclaims Christ is for all people. And if you'll recall, Eric talked about syncretism um, earlier in the season. I was actually talking with Corey about this this morning. Kind of a modern example of what syncretism is is like in Latin and South America, you see a lot of um, taking a little bit of spiritism and kind of the witchcraft side of things, and you combine it with a little Roman Catholicism, and that's what you get, right? So it's taking a little bit of this belief and that belief and putting it together. Well, Paul's writing to the Colossians who are immersed in a culture where this is really common. And one of the, the primary belief systems that they pulled from was called Gnosticism. And uh, the Gnostics believed that kind of the physical realm was evil, and so the way that plays out is something like, like our physical bodies are evil, and your soul is what's good, but your soul is trapped in your physical body. And so to free your soul from your physical body, you have to acquire all this knowledge and, and these secret mysteries and that kind of thing. And in Gnostic circles, these mysteries were only revealed to the elite. The Gnostics called them the perfected ones and, and there was secret knowledge withheld from the general public. So this is why Paul uses all these words like mystery and wisdom and complete understanding and knowledge. They're all terms that were well understood. So my friend Ian bought um, my wife Jana this mug Where's that at? Yeah, there it is. And it says, of course I talk to myself. Sometimes I need expert advice. So if you know Jana, this is perfect. This, it's so true. But Jana would consider herself one of these perfected ones when it comes to paleontology of all things, right? And even though she's never taken a class or she's never been on like a dig, she has watched a lot of Jurassic Park. 
And um, I think we watched one this week anyways, but anyways. So paleontologist Jana, she believes that the dinosaurs are a hoax, right? She believes that you and I and everybody else have been duped by the dinos, and um, uh, she has this secret mystery, and we're all, we're all ignorant to it. Well, here Paul kind of makes a claim that shifts the way that everybody thinks, and the ultimate mystery had been revealed to all people. And honey, I'll just be Paul in the dino scenario. They're a thing. <laughs> Anyways, I'll pay for that when I get home. But um, When Paul wrote these words, he knew exactly the audience he was writing to, and it hit home even more. So verse 27 says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So two things in that stand out. First, who it's revealed to. And second of all, like what the mystery is, right? So Paul, in writing to the Gentiles, Gentiles are people who are not Jews, uh, he was specifically making a point that the kingdom of God is for all people, not just the Jews. See, the law was, it was first revealed to the Jews, so they felt like they kind of had the corner on the wisdom and knowledge of God. But Paul is saying here that this mystery has been revealed to all people. So the mystery is revealed. And what's the mystery? Look at it again. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, say it with me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is Christ in you. Christ in you is an incredible reality. Those of you that have put your faith in Christ now have the spirit of Christ in you. And what's it mean? What's it say there? It means you have hope. You have hope. Hope in the midst of grief and loss and loneliness and rejection. Hope in the midst of disease and suffering and broken relationships and shattered dreams. I was thinking about what's been going on in Boone County with Deputy Pickett and Sidney Foster and Councilman Lamar. First Thessalonians says that we don't grieve like people that don't have hope. We heard that theme in, in Deputy Pickett's uh, funeral. We don't grieve like people that have no hope because we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's a hope that one day, all that is broken and wrong in the world will be made right in Jesus, amen? And that's something that we deeply long for. I had the, I had the privilege of going to Europe, uh, I don't know, it's probably been three weeks now. Um, three weeks ago, I went to Europe with Chad Sears and Julia Davis. And um, we went with kind of two goals. So first, we went to Berlin. And we were going there to kind of discern an on, kind of a growing relationship we have with a ministry there called The Lighthouse. And they're uh, reaching out to primarily Syrian but, but Arabic background refugees that are flooding Germany. Um, and then the second objective, we, we went down to Sicily. And so it's funny, I hear myself say this and I go, man, it's really suffering for Jesus, right? But <laughs> we went down to Sicily to visit the Kellers. If you guys remember, they went to Sicily back in October. And we kind of wanted to encourage them and get a lay of the land and, and kind of see how the ministry was going and kind of to, to prep our team, too, that's going in October. And I'd have actually a third personal object, objective that I didn't know was there until I got there. I love Europe because of this. I tried to eat as many pastries and drink as much cappuccino as I could. And uh, I succeeded to the tune of seven pounds, I think. But anyways, I lost my spot. So... In Sicily, though, they've been seeing, it's unbelievable, they've been seeing since 2014 about uh, between 100,000 and 150,000 refugees a year hitting their shores, mostly from North and Central Africa. 
And these refugees, they get to Italy hoping for a better life than the famine and civil war and, and uh, terrorism and, child, and trafficking and all those things that are happening in a lot of these places in Africa. But when they get there, they find out that they can't actually do anything uh, like work or get a home until they get their documents. And right now their documents are taking three to four years. So, so they end up spending their days kind of wandering around the streets just trying to kill the time. Well, we went down to the city to interact with some of these refugees and I was really amazed actually how open they are. Here, like if you walk up to somebody and talk to them and you're a stranger, you kind of get shut down, right? It's kind of taboo. And they welcome it there, it's so much fun, especially for an extrovert. But one of these guys that, that we met in Sicily, his name was Uthman. And Uthman is from the Gambia. And uh, that's the journey from Gambia to Sicily. And it's kind of like, when they described it, it feels kind of like the Underground Railroad that we're familiar with. They kind of say, go here, and that person will tell you where to go. And they make their way up to Libya, which is north central there, and they try to get across. They get on little dinghies, and they try to float across to Sicily with hope for a better life. So Uthman's 23. He's been in Sicily for four years. He was one of that first wave of refugees that came through. So he was likely, he likely started his journey at 17 or 18. So I was thinking about our students, like a lot of you guys are thinking about graduation and what's college gonna look like. Uthman at 17 was going, I gotta get out of here. So I asked Uthman, I said, man, do you have any uh, family that came with you? He said, no, my whole family's been killed. And I don't know how or by who or why, but I asked him, I said, man, what do you do day to day? And he just said, nothing. Nothing, just try to pass the time. I asked him, hey, do you know when you're gonna get your documents? And he said, no, it's been four years and I haven't received anything yet. I then asked him a question that that his answer broke my heart. I said, man, once once you get your documents, what do you hope for? What do you hope for your life? And Uthman just said, I don't hope. I don't hope. He went on to explain it this way. He said, hope feels like something that's at the end of this long, winding road. It's so far away that I couldn't take enough steps to get there. Like, let that sit with you for a moment. And he said, I just wanna feel good and I wanna stay alive for the next step. I don't hope. Church, I just gotta say, like, man, we have that hope. We have that hope that Uthman is looking for. And because we have it, we have to be people who proclaim to the nations that Christ is your hope, Christ is your life. 1 Peter 1, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. Hope in an inheritance that won't perish, spoil, and fade is hope that needs to be proclaimed. It's hope that Uthman needs and it's hope that you don't have to go to another nation to proclaim, right? Our coworkers and our neighbors and our family and our classmates, they need the hope of Jesus. We have the hope at the end of the road that the world thinks is unattainable. And we have to be about the task of proclaiming Christ is our hope. 
Amen? If we believe that Christ is all, we must be going people who proclaim Christ. Does your life proclaim Christ today? I want to continue on in verse 28. Let me get back to my spot. It says, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. So God's so going requires Christ-centered community. So follow me here. Paul's desire is that the believers will become perfect in Christ. And this isn't something that we fully experience in this life. There's a fancy kind of theological term for it called progressive sanctification. And that basically just means that the Holy Spirit helps us increasingly become more like Christ until, like Scripture says, one day we'll be made like him in glory. But Paul labors and struggles so the church will begin to look like Christ. Why? To what end? Well, verse two, my purpose, or the reason I labor and struggle, is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they will have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. So Paul labors and he struggles so the church will be unified and encouraged, that they would have understanding, that they would know Jesus, and that they'd remain steadfast in the truth that Christ is all. I think Paul emphasized these so much because when the church functions how it was designed to by Jesus, it becomes a place where the glory of God and the power of the Spirit is unleashed through its people. And that's what I want. Anybody else want that? Can you imagine this place if when we gathered, our conversations had to do with, man, how's God been revealing himself to you this week? Or God freed me from a sin pattern this week. Or man, God's opened doors for these spiritual conversations. Or man, God's been answering prayers. Or man, God freed this person or that person from, from addiction. Or I saw somebody healed this week. Like, do you know that he still does that today? This isn't old, old time stuff. This is today. What if that was our report on Sundays or at Life Group or EHS on Wednesdays? We came together and that was our report. And if it hadn't gone that well that, all that well that week, we were rejected maybe or, or missed an opportunity. There's a group, group of people that you come back to and you're encouraged and you go back out. I think if this was normal, we'd become more unified and more encouraged to keep at it. And it's a beautiful thing when the body of Christ functions how it was supposed to. And Jesus said in John 17 that it actually proclaims Christ to the world. I want to experience that. I want to experience the Holy Spirit working among us like Paul writes about in in verse 29. I want to experience that. And as I read scriptures and I hear stories of places in the world where, where the gospel is exploding and it's spreading, I think the consistent theme is that displays of the power of the Holy Spirit are directly connected to obedient, sacrificial, God-soaked people who are going and proclaiming Christ. 
I want to check. I want you to check out this video. Um, it's a Francis Chan clip. I think it's a really appropriate closing challenge. And I'm going to lead us through something as we close. So check out this video. Sam, when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, he says, man, is when you're put up in front of the authorities. You don't know what to do. Don't worry, because that's when the Holy Spirit's going to come. Don't, don't worry about what you're going to say. He'll give you the words to say when. When you're placed in front of the authorities. Well, I mean, why don't I experience the Holy Spirit? Well, maybe because you're not suffering. He's called the comforter. Why, why do you need a comforter if you're comfortable? You know, we, we think, well, I want to experience the Holy Spirit, so I'm going to climb this mountain, and you know, and you, that's fine. But could it be that we experience the Holy Spirit when we're out making true disciples and teaching them to obey everything that God's commanded us? And as we teach them to obey everything that God's commanded us, they reject us, and that that's when we'll experience the, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age? Is that when we're experiencing his presence when we're actually making disciples and teaching people to obey everything and they don't like it? And they reject us. And Paul says, well, you know what? Then that's what I'm going to do. I'll go out and make disciples. I'll go out and suffer what I need to because I want the fellowship of Christ. I want to experience him. See, if we really are serious about wanting Christ, wanting to experience him, to know him, then we can rejoice in the sufferings and we can rejoice in being rejected. And I tell you, I say that uh, with a little bit of fear and unsurety. It's like, uh, am I ready for more of this? You know, I've, I have to confess that I've been talking about something that I'm not great at follow through on. And as I was preparing for the message, the, the Holy Spirit just prompted my heart to confess to him and to confess to you all that a lot of days, like joining Christ in his mission to seek and save the lost isn't a top priority for me. And I'm a pastor. It's easy for me to, to get caught up in church work, right? The, that's a big to-do list. And if I'm honest, in our context, it mostly involves people that know Jesus. And I want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit working through me and through us, but I think I've been reluctant to intentionally place myself in situations where I needed the Holy Spirit to come through. And I think this is something that we as a community may need to repent of today as well. So I just want to create a little space for that. I might have the team come back up. Um, I wrote a, a list of kind of uh, worship team, you guys can come on up. I wrote a list of kind of personal confessions this week. You can throw those up on the screen, Mike. I don't know if you guys can read it. I hope you can. They're printed in the bulletin. They'll be in the bulletin in the app, and they're on the screen. But I'm not going to read through it, but I want to provide some space for you to look through this uh, list. And I want you to open yourselves up to the Spirit and ask him to reveal any of these that may be true for you. Confess them, ask the Lord if there's anything he'd have you do. And these are all just things that, that Jesus said are kind of, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. These are kind of the, the baseline sort of things. And so I just want you to look through them, and in, if any of them, you go, yeah, that's me, that's me. I just want you to, to bring that before the Lord and ask him what he'd have you do, whether it's here in this space or if it's as you go this week.
And I also want to invite those of you who have never placed your faith in Jesus to feel, and, and maybe you come in and you feel that weight of hopelessness, or like Eric says, the ache of incompleteness. You can go through the same list. These phrases are all taken, like I said, from things Jesus asked of us. And just confess maybe that you haven't been following him in these ways. Let him know that you want to make knowing him and following him the main priority of your life. Maybe today is a day of hope and salvation for you. And I just real quick want to make sure that this isn't received as burdensome or oppressive, right? It can feel like that. It feels heavy sometimes, right? But Romans 8 says that in Christ there is no condemnation. And Galatians 5 says that the fruit of the Spirit, two of those are joy and peace. John 16 says the Spirit does bring conviction, but with that is joy and peace. And I also want to remind us of who we are in Christ. We are, as Ephesians 2 says, created in Christ with works that he planned in advance for us to do. So aligning ourselves with what Jesus asks of us, I believe is gonna unleash some things here of him through his spirit that we could have never imagined. So we're just gonna take a couple of minutes and just be still before the Lord. We're not gonna sing yet and, and just be still. I want you to look through the list and um, just spend some time with the Lord and then I'll pray and we'll get back into worship. God, thank you that you are a God who has always been about pursuing the lost. You've always been about that. And the ultimate display of that was, Jesus, when you came and gave your life for us. Thank you that you are the God who leaves everything behind to pursue the one that was lost. you help us to be faithful to take steps that you've called us to take to join you in the mission of seeking and saving the lost 
for those here this morning who don't know you, who would say that they haven't put their faith in you, Lord, would you reveal yourself to them? May they know the depths of your love, that, that you are one who chases down every person, no matter where they've been or what they've done. And that hope is found in you and you alone. Thank you for the invitation to join us in your work here in the world. May your kingdom come here among us and your will be done, we ask. In Jesus' name. Just stand up. We're going to continue.